Hey guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends get drunk and talk about gruesome murders. Each week we pick a different drink whose name or ingredients set the tone for our stories. Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of Killer Cocktails. This is Jackie. This is Drea. And this week's episode is the mojito. The mojito. We've talked about this drink for a very long time. Very long time. Our friend makes, not makes, grows her own mint. And she's like, dude, you guys have to make the mojito. That's what this is about. Yeah, yeah. She talks about them all. Our friend Christina talks mm-hmm. about mojitos and how they're the greatest cocktail. Yeah. I didn't know that. Like, it's very Christina to grow her own mint. <laughs> yes. Um, but no, I am so glad we finally made these. Again, it is still winter time. The snow is currently falling, but these are a summery drink. We got real warm drinked out. Yeah, yeah. I can't do another Spanish coffee or Irish coffee or any kind of coffee. They're tasty drinks. I like them, but... <sighs> it's something about warm booze. I can't... I feel weird inside. Well, it just depends on my mood, I suppose. And I didn't... I, I didn't think I was about it, about it. Because I feel like I've had them before. There was a Cuban restaurant in downtown Walnut Creek. Have you been there? You're going to have to give me a little bit more detail. I think it's called Havana. Havana. It was... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was next to a sushi place called Fujian. I've been to that sushi place. Have No, have you? Yes. Okay. <laughs> we would party it up at Fujian. Dude, would they go like dinner time? They would yell. Their, yes. Helen, yes. like, I will never forget Helen. <laughs> Helen was there every goddamn night. She would, like, you would, we never, because there was always a huge table of us. So we would go there and we would fill this whole area. And, like, we were super into sake bombs because we were young and dumb. Yeah. And Helen would, like, the server would come over and do sake bombs with us. <laughs> and we would, like, we got elaborate with them. Like, this was back during, like, uh, Kanye West was really big. Like, we would do. Bomb, 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 sake, bomb, bomb, bomb. And like, well, half the table is doing that. Everyone else would go, sake, bomb, sake, bomb, for me, for you, for me, for Oh, so fun. And we would just come up with all sorts of different chants. Yeah. Everyone had to have hated of us. Yeah. But it was really fun. Dude, when Carrie and I went, we, uh, we went, this was like, I went for, every time I see Carrie, it's like a drink-a-thon. But I went for a weekend, and we actually documented all the drinks we were having, and it was obscene. Gross. Um, and so, like, we were hungover, we went to breakfast, and then we, like, went to, uh, sushi wasn't open yet, so we went to this other place. And then we went to a gas station, got Red Bulls, and then went to the, <laughs> this is a, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then went to the sushi place the first time of the day. And then had the whole, we did yeah. sake bombs and like, dinner time. And uh, <laughs> like, we had the chef out with us, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. We went to the swirl place. Oh, that uh, sounds familiar. And then we went back to the sushi place at night and we're like, dinner time. Yeah. So. If it's the same place, that pl- like, they just, they're fun. It was across so, the street from a Wells Fargo. Yes. Yeah. And near a piano shop. Yeah. <laughs> the, what was it? One of the chefs. Added us on Snapchat. And yeah. For years, oh. we had Snapchats <laughs> back and forth with this random sushi chef. Oh, that place was so fun. Mm, good times. Dinner time. Okay, so. How do we get there? I don't know. Mojitos. There was a Cuban place okay, next to Fujian's <laughs> that served mojitos, and they were really good. And they would do, like, mango mojitos. And so when I one? think of mojitos, I don't think of it as, like, a favorite drink of mine, but these are very tasty. Yeah. I mean, um, I think making them, you kind of, 
got a little scared of how much sugar was going into There's them. There's a lot of sugar. You got to muddle a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. These are definitely, if you are sugar conscious, do not order this. There are at least two tablespoons of sugar in a drink. Yeah. And then, like, you know, a lot how of... How many grams is in two tablespoons of sugar? Don't do that to me. Wow. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah. Just go on a run. Just go on a run before you go out and get mojitos. Uh, well, anytime you drink. Because every cocktail is at least 200 calories, if not more. Bare minimum? Essentially. Unless you're going for like a, a Michelob Ultra. Like it's like 98 <sighs> yeah. calories. But I like pork chop beers. Yeah, you're going at least 200 for those. Yeah. If not more. I did not go skiing or anything today. Jackie, I know we haven't talked about this at all, but we're in a fitness competition right now. I and it ends am today. so upset. Oh, what pizza am I going to get? So, earlier today I woke up and I resigned myself to being a loser. <laughs> and it was a real, it was a real ego hit. And the day's not over, but I would have to be a straight up crazy person to beat you. And I just don't, I mean, now we're drinking, so I really don't see that in my future. But I'm, I'm upset about it. So Jackie, what do you have to do for me now that you've lost? The worst thing ever. We are going to go get pizza at debatably the best pizza place in Bend. We're going to go to Little Pizza Paradise. I am going to buy you a pizza large enough to share that you will not share with me. That you will eat piping hot out of the oven while I eat a salad. I'm allowed to have a beer, but I have to eat a salad while you eat a delicious pizza in front of me. Yes. And then you take home the leftovers <laughs> to the salad or to the pizza that I was not allowed to eat. Yes. God, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm, I, I came up with what I was going to lose and I'm really mad about yeah. it. I don't know why you thought you were going to win when you, because we, because like, I'm not that far, I, Again, if I was insane, yeah. I could pull it off. I just don't think I can. I'm not insane. And it's snowy out. <laughs> and if you said... I would be more insane. Like, like I could bang that out in a run, mm-hmm. but it's fucking, there's fucking waist-deep <laughs> snow everywhere, and I don't belong to a gym. Ah. And in my, like all of my exercise, like, I have got a rowing machine. I've got a bike on a trainer. Yeah. I can't beat you with a rowing machine <laughs> and a bike on a trainer. So, I need a treadmill, and I don't have one. <laughs> for this first month, I know we haven't really talked about it, but we're going to talk about it as yeah. it goes on. This first month was just going to be steps, and obviously I won. I'm the winner, and I'm the best. It's not over yet, <laughs> but yes, you probably won. Um, but um, going into the future, we're going to do different activities. There's, yeah. Like our, heart rate, we're going to do Our Garmin Vivo Fit 3s. What are they? Wait, Garmin, that's what yeah. it is? Yeah. yeah. Vivo Active. Did you Vivo, say? yeah, I did yeah, not yeah. say it. We're not sponsored by Garmin, so I don't have to get it right. But we got these watches that do all sorts of shit. Yeah. And we'll come up with different levels. We want to do points for different things. Yeah, we started using one app. And this is we'll throw this out to listeners. If you have an app that kind of brings all that the helps us challenge each other together. Jackie, we're drinking the mojito. Do you want to hear about it? What's in it? Okay, I'll tell you. Lime, mint, sugar, white rum, and you're going to have, you muddle all that. And then you're going to put some soda water in there, and you're going to drink it. All right. Yeah. A nice long, like, it's good It's good in a Collins glass. Good. A nice it's tall glass. in a Collins glass. Get yourself one of those, like, bartender fancy spoons. Mm-hmm. Get a muddler. It took me fucking forever to do a tutorial video because I kept, like, either grabbing the wrong thing at yeah. the wrong time or I was muddling too vigorously and it went flying. So we've got a wooden muddler. So I've read about 
muddlers and like ideally we wouldn't have the kind of muddler that we have okay because it the it's like a painted finish on them Uh, almost all of the wood ones have a painted finish that breaks off while you muddle gross so not only are you kind of drinking some of the little particles to your muddler but it also just like it's not ideal like i think the good muddlers are metal with like a small plastic toothed rubber like a like a soft hard yeah because it's also probably messing with the flavors a little bit. Maybe. With the muddler. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but but again, yeah. we're broke and <laughs> we use what is readily available. Yeah. Um, these are super delicious. Uh, like we were saying, there's tons of sugar in them, though. So I don't think I would order this a bunch. It would definitely not be my from-the-hip go-to drink. No. But I will get another one this year. Yeah. So, Havana, Cuba is the birthplace of the mojito. Yeah, it is. Uh, although the exact origin of this classic cocktail is the subject of debate, as most cocktails are, one story traces the mojito to a similar 16th century drink known as El Draque. El after, Draque? Yeah, after Sir Francis Drake. Oh. In 1586, after a successful raid, Drake's ships sailed towards Havana, but there was an epidemic of uh, dysentery and scurvy on board. Ooh. <laughs> it was known that the local South American Indi- Indians had remedies of uh, for various tropical illnesses. So a small boarding party went ashore on Cuba and came back with ingredients for an effective medicine. The ingredients were a crude form of rum made from sugarcane mixed with lime and other sugarcane juice and mint. There are other uh, several theories behind the origin of the name Mojito. One theory says that the name relates to Mojo, which is a Cuban seasoning made from lime and uh, and used to flavor dishes. Hmm. And then some even say that the Mojito became widely known because of the author, Ernest Hemingway, because he loved them. Yeah. He was a bit of a boozer if I... Remember he was correctly. Oh, Hemingway. So, <laughs> uh, fun fact: a survey by an international market research company found that in 2016, the mojito was the most popular cocktail in Britain and France. Britain and France. Yeah. Interesting. Isn't that crazy? I, I would not have thought that. Yeah. And those are your fun history facts of the mojito. The mojito. The mojito. All right. Murder time. Okay, I'm going to tell you about Helen Hagnes Mint Kiss. Oh. Is that your tie? Oh, my God. Mojitos have mint. Mojitos have mint. In her mint, last name. Mintix. 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 All right. M-I-N-T-I-K-S. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was like when people get their phone number and it's not in the normal cadence. <laughs> Beep up, beep, 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 I don't think anything enrages me more than when people go, 18, blah, 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 <laughs> and then you do the eight, eight, and then they go, and you're like, you fuck, okay, fine, bop, bop, back, one, eight. Uh, Helen Minticus. But before I tell you about Helen, I'm going to interrupt my story. So the no- <laughs> With another story. Okay. Um, just so I don't inter- interrupt myself later. Okay. Okay. That's good. Yeah. We'll get it out of the way early. <laughs> um, I've told you, the, I feel like, Drea, I've told you this story before, but I haven't told it on the podcast before. Um, my friend Jess was living in Oakland or Berkeley. I think it was Oakland. And uh, her roommates started dating, and then it got awkward and weird, and the roommates moved out. 
And then her landlord came to her and was like, hey, we got to find more roommates, but you have to live with them. If you want to do the posting and you want to interview people and find, as long as they pass, you know, background checks and, you know, have not terrible credit, credit scores. And she was like, okay, cool. So she posts, she's like, hey, this is where it is. It's really close to UC Berkeley. So she's kind of assuming she'll get students. Um, and she starts communicating uh, with this gal, Janice. Mm-hmm. And like, blah, 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 blah. Janice is going to move. So then it's like, time for Janice to come move. And there's a knock on the door. And she looks out the window. And there's a man on the porch. And she doesn't know who this person oh, is. No. And so she grabs, she's dating this guy, Tim, at the time. And she's like, hey, Tim, like, I don't know who this guy is. Like, will you figure out what he is? So she like opens up the door. And the guy on the porch is like, yeah, my name is Giannis. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. From the Netherlands. And her roommate is not a girl named Janice. It's a man named Giannis. Oh, that's amazing. So Giannis moves in, and I think he was going to Cal. And Giannis was great. And so then she's like, well, I guess I have a male. I think she was intending to get female roommates. Yeah. But she's like, Giannis is wonderful. She's like, I guess I don't care if yeah. it's a, a, you know, a man or a woman. And then she ended up having our Morgan, like Morgan, our French friend, like moved <laughs> in, like, but so Giannis, that will come back into play later in the story. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So back to murder. Helen Mintikis, Mintikis, I have a hard time with how to say her name. Mintix. I think it's because I keep trying to say mint. She was originally from a small farm in Canada. Uh, she was a 31-year-old violinist, mm. and she was performing with the Berlin Ballet at the Metropolitan Opera in New York. So wow. at 31, she's fucking crushing it, yeah. in my opinion. Like, jeez, she's doing she's doing well. Playing she's at from, she's playing from at Canada. the Met. She's from Canada. Wow. She's tra- obviously traveling the world. I think she went to school in she went to school in America uh, and played violin. Like, I think she has American roots. She has Canadian roots. There's a little bit of a global feel to it. Um, okay, so on July 23rd, 1980, okay. Helen was uh, playing, she's, she's at the Met, they're playing for this uh, ballet, for the Berlin Ballet. Um, she leaves the orchestra pit at 9.30 p.m., so it's in the middle of a performance, they okay. have an intermission. Okay. So she leaves at 9.30, and she's not expected back until 10.19. Okay. And this number kind of gets thrown out a few times, and it seems oddly specific, but yeah. I guess it's like really regimented and you've got so yeah. apparently 10 19 you need to be back and maybe because they're starting at right 10 20 you know either 10 yeah. or, or like 10 30 and there's like i i yeah i don't know yeah um so she tells a friend that she's gonna go off to meet with valerie panov who was a russian choreographer and dancer who was the guest star of the show so there's this like famous russian dancer and she's leaving during intermission to go find this famous guest dancer because she wants to talk about, she wants to kind of set up a meeting between him and her husband, Giannis. Oh. <laughs> Mintic, Mintix. Yeah. Um, he's a sculptor. Okay. So they didn't have any pre, like, plans to meet up. No. She she's just, like, bouncing out during the intermission. She's mm-hmm. like, hey, where's his dressing room? Got it. She's going to go, like, I think she's just, like, taking advantage of the situation. Yeah, definitely. So... Uh, she gets onto an elevator and she's joined by Laura Cutler. So she's a dancer that's in the show and Craig Crimmins and Crimmins is a stagehand at the Met. He's worked there for a couple of years. Um, when Helen asks where Penov's dressing room is, Crimmins answers on three. So the dude who's a stagehand says he's on three. They ride the elevator down to sea level and I'll kind of explain these different levels. So they ride it down to sea level, which is the lowest of the 10 levels at the Met. And the cutler, the dancer, gets off, and she leaves Craig Crimmins and Helen alone in the elevator. 
Um, and that's the last time that Helen was seen alive. Oh, no. The next day, Helen's body is found choked, bound, <gasps> beaten at the bottom of a 60-foot shaft at the opera what? house. What? Like of the elevator shaft? Of a, like an air, of like a oh, ventilator okay. shaft. Okay. What? So weeks go by. There's no leads. Her husband's cleared. Old boyfriends are cleared. Um, all the coworkers check out. Everybody has alibis. But then 22-year-old Craig Crimmins, who was the last person to see her in that elevator, he breaks under police questioning. Now, he's a high school dropout. He'd been a stagehand for about four years. He has an IQ of 83. Okay. It's a little... Uh, Average is 100. Average, yeah. 75 is considered mentally challenged mm-hmm. so he's very he's close mm-hmm. um he's interrogated for over 15 hours okay. without a lawyer present okay kind of making of the murder kind of situation yeah um it is asserted by police so not by police so it's like lawyer lawyers later assert that police had deliberately thwarted his family's plan to obtain a lawyer but they kind of like skirted like yes he had been given his miranda rights and thrown them off but that he didn't really understand them is kind of the argument um that uh so he'd been interrogated for more than 15 hours uh so this is in august 16th into the 17th that he's being interrogated so this had happened back in july so this is a couple months later that they're taking him in for hours and hours um it was at the end of six six hours of inquiries that he said that he admitted to guilt. So he admits it six hours in, and then there's multiple more hours where I think he gets more information. Uh, videotapes later made um, of them posing questions to him. So he, according to his ad, like admitted, what do you call that? Like According to his testimony, I suppose, um, is that he said something to Helen in the elevator, like that he came on to her, mm-hmm. and that she responded by slapping him, kneeing him in the groin, and saying something, according to him, loud and snooty. Okay. That's either exaggerated or he did something to really he either said, that Yeah, response. he either said something really egregious where, like, her response was, like, like visceral, yeah. where it's just, like, get the fuck away from me. Um, he, like, he comes on to her, so her response is... Shuts him down. She shuts him down immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't take it well. So he comes on to her either in an aggressive manner or a mild manner. It doesn't really matter, but her response is pretty adamant. No. Um, then he pulls her off the elevator on the second floor and he marches her across the building and down a stairwell. What? No, 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 no. And he takes her a couple levels down. So I'll maybe I can just jump down there now. From the stairwell exit. I don't have it here. I might have up. Oh, here we go. Okay. Uh, The opera house has 10 floors. Okay. The main floor with which performances are held is at stage level. Then below that, there are three floors designated A, B, C. So like three sub floors. Mm -hmm. And then there are six floors above stage level. So it's 10 stories but it's numbered weird. Yeah. Okay. So he pulls her off the elevator on the second floor, which is more than two floors. Yeah. Um, Drags her out, drags her down a stairwell. He attempts to rape her. What? He forces her to remove a tampon. Ah, ah, 
Which, like, that, I don't know why that part of the story really bugged me, but it really bugged me. So that's from his testimony, obviously. Yeah. Because, like, he... Well, and they uh, have proof of it, like, evidence after yeah. the fact. Yeah. Oh. Because he wanted... He, like, saw it and wanted it's to in the way. assault her. Oh, my So gosh. he has her... So, like, for five minutes, he tries to assault... Like, and I don't think he's successful. He tries to assault her in a stairwell for about five minutes or so. Yeah. And she's fighting back. Then she's fighting back, and she's on her period, obviously. And she... So then he gives up on that... He drags her up to the top. So then they go up the staircase. Now they're like not oh in the elevator gosh. anymore. Drags her up multiple flights of stairs up to the top level. So now oh they're on the gosh. sixth floor, which is really kind of the tenth floor. And what kind of build is he? Is he? He's like he's kind of like he's a young. Um, he's not super built, but I don't know how built she is either. Yeah. I think they're both kind of. I want to say she's in heels. She's like people. in a dress. Yeah. yeah. Oh my she's gosh. She's like ready for a performance. Oh my gosh. Oh. So, um. She tries to escape. He takes off her shoes. He cuts off her clothes and he ties her up and he walks and he leads. So they've had the altercation before. So now he just kind of like ties her up. So the way he kind of tells the story is I tried to like I came onto her. She didn't. I freaked out. I attacked her. Then I kind of like tied her up and I was like, I just need to get away from her in this situation. Yeah. So he ties her up and leaves her over there. Then, But he's like removed her clothes and her shoes and stuff she then he like he, she gets up and she like because her feet aren't tied very well so she's trying to run away so he goes back no then he reties her um stuffs a napkin in her mouth like gagging her ties that and then as he's walking away he says that she made a noise he walks back and then he says it like the, the things that i read is like very nonchalantly um just kind of like kicks her and that's when she falls down the ventilator shaft. Oh, okay, sure. Oh so she goes down, and that's that's what killed her. Like according to the uh, medical examiner, it was the fall. It was the fall. Okay. So, so he got her to that situation. He killed. Yeah. He killed yeah. her. One hundred percent. He killed her. Um. So from this uh, stairwell exit on the sixth floor, you have to climb up a short ladder that leads to the roof. So you go. Like, there's some, like, maneuvering that happened in all of this, um, where there are six large fans that are part of the cooling system to the opera house, and each one of those fans sits atop a ventilating system. Okay. So there's, like, so there was a lot, I think there was a lot of, like, coercion, and he's being really aggressive. So I think she, like, had to climb ladders and, like, wow. do a bunch of, it, it doesn't sound super simple. And he didn't have a weapon on him? No, he he's just, just okay. being aggressive, oh, according to all this. Um... So according to the prosecutor, um, as he describes the route, that she was led, um, yeah, again, through all these, like, stairwells and stuff. Crimmins is saying that he was drunk and high, that he hit on a woman, that he was rebuffed, and it resulted in him in a sexual assault and a murder. That's kind of his defense. Defense. Okay. Kind of now. So the original defense was, I didn't mean to admit to that. I didn't do it. And now, so he was found guilty of the murder. Sentenced to 22 years to life. Um, eligible for parole in 2001. was oh. a while back. At one of his parole hearings, he said, I'm not quite sure, like his uh, vernacular is, I was drank. She slapped me in the face and kneed me in the groin. I don't know. Something snapped in my brain. Tried to leave her on the roof, but she just kept jumping up and down. I gave her one kick. She slipped and rolled into the shaft. So that's him at his parole hearing. So he's no longer saying, I didn't mean to admit to it. He's just kind of saying all of this kind of yeah. happened. Um, if you feel I ain't been in prison long enough, 
and hit me, Aub it is. I don't know what the yeah. what that verbiage means. But he's just kind of being like, I've been in prison a long time. If you, you don't, don't think, think it's it... if you don't think it's been long enough, I guess I have to stay here. Yeah. Um the parole board noting that he had used heroin in two thousand one, they said releasing you to the community would make a mockery of the criminal justice system. He used heroin in prison? Yeah. Okay. So he just continues to be in prison. He comes up for parole. Jeez. And kind of... What an awful situation you are He's at- been... Like, think about how long he's been in... Like, he went in his early 20s and yeah. the 80s. Yeah. It's now 2019. Yeah. I mean, that dude has no idea what it's like out here. But think about this poor woman. She's at the Met. She's 30, yes. a young 30. Yes. She's on a break. At, like, intermission. Her husband's probably out the in the show. crowd. Yeah. She's just going to go do a work deal, kind of network. She's straight thing. up at work. She's just living yeah. her life yeah. at work. And she's taking an elevator up to... And a this, creepy dude just yeah. says something creepy in the elevator. Like, I, every woman's experience is different and the same at the same time. A million times a creepy dude has said something creepy to you and mm-hmm. nothing has happened. It's just a creepy experience. But who's to say that... And... Yeah. And here it went... Totally great Like... Yeah. It is very scary. Yeah. It's very scary to be out. You're in the Met. You're in the Met in New York. Mm-hmm. There's another person in the elevator. You get on. Like, that's so terrifying. Yeah. That this lady gets off the elevator and this dude says something creepy and now you're getting dragged around and thrown. Like, it's horrifying. Yeah. This story scary. was, like, spooky to me. And they they never did any, like, they had never met before. Her no. doing rehearsals at the Met. He didn't see her before. Because she's not, like, a regular at the Met, it doesn't okay. sound like. She, like. she travels with the Berlin Ballet. Oh, my gosh. That's so, that's so terrifying. Yeah. That's. When is he up for parole again? I, I think you're up for parole every two years. Every two so years. he's okay. been, it's been, he's been eligible since 2001, but he hasn't gotten he hasn't it. out. Oh. Well, thank you, Jackie. You're welcome. <laughs> be be aware of be be aware of your surroundings. I mean, I think especially. But here's this... like, I you think he said something to her? She slapped him and kneed him in the go- like. Mm-hmm. She obviously fought back to a certain extent to his his story. That's what she did. That's true. That's like, very true. She could have. They could have rode the elevator in silence, and he attacked her. We don't know. Yeah, that's valid. You know. And then while attacking her, she could have done those things, and he's blending them into the story. Exactly. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a scary world, but I mean, keep living your life, but be vigilant. Yeah, I guess that's kind of how I put it. I don't live any differently, but also, yeah, don't attack me because <laughs> you don't you don't know if I got a knife. You don't know you if, don't I, know got if a knife. I got a gun, <laughs> a blade in my boot. You don't know. Can't uh, tell you where I keep my weapons. <laughs> Uh, all right, guys, we're going to take a short break, and you know how these intermissions go. We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, welcome back. We're coming back from our break. I don't have any ice. Oh I tried God. to make ice noises. <laughs> Jackie's just throwing her drink around the microphone. Just, like a dancer. <laughs> a bad dancer. Um, okay, Jackie, are you ready for my story? I am ready for your story. Okay, so... George Zeros was born around 1954 in the town of McDonald, Pennsylvania, which mm. had a population of 2,300. So, small, small town, living. Small Pennsylvania town. Mm-hmm. Uh, this area was known for coal mining until the 80s when most of the mines closed down. Uh, generations of George's family, including George's father and brothers, worked as coal miners. But George was drawn to the Catholic Church. 
probably because his mother was very religious. So his mm-hmm. brothers are going towards his dad with the mining and he's going towards the church. So in 1974, George begins theological studies at St. Paul's Sem- uh, Seminary in Pittsburgh and completes his training at Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Ooh, lots of that's words. That's some words. Yeah. He is ordained in 1979. As are we. We are ordained. Not in 1979, <laughs> but we are ordained. I felt like my process was just log on, put your information that in, is you got what it. what the process is. So, listeners, should you need anyone to oh my God. <laughs> marry people, we could tag, I've tagged team wedding to now, like I have now been co-reverend. Yeah. I you, feel like <gasps> we could tag team a wedding and it would be so good. We do, won't mention murder if you don't want us to. Do you want a killer cocktails wedding? We are ordained reverends. Oh my God. I've done eight weddings? I've done one. With our powers combined... We got an average. We'll make it to a cool ten. Four and a half. Yeah. When, yeah. Well, when when we do this other like anyway, yeah. Ooh, just so get, like, don't, like you know our email address. Yeah. You know how to get in contact with us? Send me a letter, please. Our address. We is would on love the to have you fly us to Fiji to marry you. <laughs> like I know, like we'll work our schedules out. Yeah. Like it's an inconvenience, but we'll make it happen Hands for are, you. But you know what? We'll for go you... to Spain for your wedding. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> just hit us up. Um. All right, back to George. So George's classmates consider him as an engaging, compassionate man who is at the same time an opinionated conservative Catholic. Okay. George's niece describes him as generous and always very helpful and would always put everybody everybody else's feelings before his own. Okay. So George is ordained and he starts working as a priest and ends up at St. Ad Alberts in Pittsburgh. While there, he becomes friends with some older priests named Francis uh Pushy, Richard Zola, and Francis Luddy, and they slowly start bringing him into their pedophilia ring. Mm. Yeah. Um, this is in the 80s? Yeah. Um, so this might be... Pen- this is Pennsylvania 80s Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so George becomes friends with a young boy who's also named George. Um, who become? Oh, he comes to church for mass with his family every week, and George begins to drop by the young boy's house and takes him out for lunch and dinner. He starts taking the boy on trips and teaches him how to drive. George then introduces the boy to his priest friends that I mentioned earlier, yeah. and they all start hanging out. And on one occasion, George brings the boy to the clergy house, and they all start talking about religious doc- doctrines. And they ask the boy to stand on the bed to recreate Christ on the cross. Mm. They then ask him to take off his shirt. Then they ask him to remove his pants so that he resembles Jesus in a loincloth. While he is standing there, the priests start taking Polaroid photos of him. Adding, and they added these photos to like their collection of photos they've been gathering for a while of other do- teenage yeah, boys. They, yeah. Yeah. They have a system. Yeah. Uh, then George walks him out and he gives the boy a necklace with a gold cross, saying that the priests give the crosses to their favorite boys. But in reality, the necklace served as a signal to other priests that the boy was, quote unquote, no. desensitized to sexual abuse and were optimal targets for future, future, uh, further victimization. How, how global do you think that is? That's crazy. That symbol? I'm not sure. But the reach of the abuse, I think, is global. Isn't that crazy? A special necklace. That is mm-hmm. so... Oh, Drea, I'm not going to like anywhere this is going. Yeah. Okay. 
So, the abuse that this boy suffered was just the tip of the iceberg. This group of priests were essentially a ring that shared information about victims. They staged parties. They just find each other. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, like, every priest is not that way. So, mm-hmm. you're, you're... You can look at this. You're as having a... conversations and you're seeing when someone, like, shuts down and when they don't. Mm-hmm. You're seeing this outside the Catholic Church, too. You're seeing yes, it in yes, government. You're seeing yes. it in normal, like, everyday life. It's just... I'm always curious, like you were saying, how does that come up in conversation? Well, then you like, yeah. And you th- like, if, if I was a Catholic priest, I would wonder all the instances where someone had felt me out and I didn't know that's what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. Um, okay. So they, they would stage parties that included plying their victims with marijuana and alcohol before committing yeah. sadomasochism, uh, sex acts with the boys. And they, uh, produced child pornography documenting their acts. Ugh. Uh, the beginning of the end of George's career came in 1988 when the other three priests in the ring were accused of sexually abusing two younger brothers who were former altar boys over a period of years. The church removed the three priests from their parishes and sent two for uh, psychiatric counseling. Uh, In this early case, the victims and their families... Never is anything criminal. It all just gets Mm -hmm. dealt with in the church. Mm -hmm. Uh, The families went to state prosecutors who took Wolk and Zola to trial. Um, Pushy escaped criminal charges because the statute of limitations had expired. The statute of limitations is what affects a lot of this. Mm -hmm. There's people coming out later when they're adults and they have the courage to say something. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about statute of limitations? Do you think that should, say, sexual assault, should that have a statute of limitations, knowing that people do take years to come forward? I don't want to be hardline about anything because I am open to the dialogue of a lot of stuff, but I don't think there's a get-out-of-jail-free card in terms of time. Yeah. I, I, I understand the argument of something happened so long ago that now if you're talking to witnesses... That's a 20-year-old memory mm-hmm. or you don't have evidence. Like, I, I understand the argument towards it was so long ago, you don't have as much evidence. I, I get that. But I also don't, like, if you have evidence, I don't get the, under, I don't understand the argument that enough time has elapsed that suddenly it's not a crime anymore. Yeah. And, like, what we were seeing kind of, like, in this time frame is, like, the Catholic Church was kind of saturated with all these allegations there was a real and well and a yeah. lot of like and there was covering up like mm-hmm. there, it yeah. was very well, much the culture of yeah. yeah and like the church you like um because this is like i can't remember it's like over a 900 page um supreme court mm-hmm. d- document going through it was like over 301 um priests against like a thousand victims yeah and they think that's a very low number they think it's a lot because more. not everyone's yeah yeah and clinging. like they um they were showing that the church was on purpose making it so statute of limitations expired yeah. on a lot of these cases and with george's i guess we'll just yeah with george's case a lot of his documents were burned and deleted and they didn't have a lot of that yeah like there was missing documentation against him the movies the movie spotlight highlights in a very hollywood way that story and then what actually happened from that journalism team and then you go expand past that and just what was happening yeah that is such that is such a web of yeah well i think uh i told you i can't remember which case it was but essentially 
a Catholic priest was doing all the things we're talking about now and the church covered it up because at the time JFK was running for president and he was a Catholic president yeah, yeah, and they yeah. didn't want to bring any yeah. naysay to the Catholic name. So George's association with the accused priest was first revealed during the trial of Zula. One of the victims testified that in 1984, when he was 15, Zula had rented a suite for a weekend at Seven Springs Mountain Resort in Somerset County, which was 80 miles southeast of Pittsburgh. Upon arriving, he helped Zula unload snacks and whiskey from the car. Within half an hour, George arrived at the resort with two other boys. The boys George brought along left the suite to swim and play racquetball, while Zula and his guests began drinking shots of whiskey and beer. Then the boy and Zula went into a bedroom and performed oral sex on each other. George remained alone in the, another room. So, eventually, Wolk uh, spends a decade in prison. Mm-hmm. Zula receives a lighter sentence after a plea bargain in which... 138 counts of molestation were dropped, but he still serves five years until he dies in custody in 1990. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. As for George, apparently the diocese of Pittsburgh became aware of complaints against him as early as 1987 when the parents of a little boy um, met with the church to report that George had inappropriately touched the child. (sighs) In February of 1988, another young man reported that George had engaged in unwanted sexual contact with the victim. In that instance, George admitted he touched the victim, but claimed that the boy had asked him to massage his legs. So, in November 1988, George was accused twice. First, a mother reported that he gave her 16-year-old son alcohol and then fondled the boy's genitals. Another victim reported that George had groped him when he was 17. In the meantime, George... This is just people saying things. Mm -hmm. How many times did he do something that no one said anything? Exactly. Yeah. And I'm not even going to tell you all the times it was reported. I know. You're just... And it's like reported to the church most of the time. And the church is just, you know. Uh, So in the meantime, George constantly evades punishment. He was repeatedly sent to Catholic, quote unquote, institutes for counseling. But the cases were never reported to police. George continued to preach the entire time, and in June 1991, yet another victim came forward and said George had groped him in several places. From there, George was transferred around um, the church numerous times before taking his first personal leave of absence in 1994. In July of 1995, he requested a transfer to Miami to escape, quote, quote, false rumors being spread about him. Uh, George also threatened to sue the church for alerting some uh, parishioners that he had been accused of molestation. In 1995, the... So some people in the church who were like, the church isn't dealing with it. I'm going to warn people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so George went to the church and was like, if you, you are purposely spreading this around, I'm suing you. If you don't give me a stipend, I'm, I'm going to sue you. And they gave him a stipend. They give him health care. They give him a pension. I hate it. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to go down and party in Miami now. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1995, then Pittsburgh Bishop Donald Whirl ar- allowed George to return to the priesthood. But in November of that year, yet another victim said George had preferred oral sex on him when the boy was 15 years old. So again, Jesus. he is given a-, a leave of absence, which is like the second His consequences thing. aren't consequences, yeah. so it just keeps happening. Yeah. And like a leave of absence... I was reading, it's essentially the second worst thing that could happen because they kind of strip you of your priesthood every time they do that. Okay. So now but then it comes back. And then, and then the, the, it's reinstated. Yeah, the bishop was like, oh, you could come back. It's fine. Oh, no, it's happened again. Let's take it away again. Okay. So he then moves to Cuba. 
So when he gets to Cuba... Mojitos! (laughs) Mojitos! There you go. There's my my tie-in. So when he gets down to Cuba, he just starts living this openly gay lifestyle. Okay. He um, starts a relationship... This is Cuba in the 90s. Yeah. And he's like... He's dating this guy. They're dating for like three years. He, like his friends like love him down there. He starts a blog. He he's like <laughs> helps <laughs> some nineties. He's like helping tourists that come to Cuba, and he's like, oh yeah, do you want this, this, and that? You can stay at my house. You can do this, and he's very generous with his money. Is he still like a part of the church and Catholic, or is he just living his life? Mm, down he's just there? living his life. He's one of his friends was like when I knew him before, he was kind of. Not bitter, but kind of like bitter and Catholic, and now he's yeah. like openly gay yeah, yeah, yeah. and just like happy. They called him promiscuous and like he's bitch, partying. bitchy gay, yeah. And like yeah. And so um, he has two dogs named Tico and Taco, and he'll walk them around their little chihuahuas. And he has like a bird named Tweety. Um, but yeah, he's living this very flamboyant lifestyle. He's having the time of his life. But then in May of two thousand one, George is found dead in his bed. I have a feeling I know the backstory to the person that killed him. Really? I would assume it's somebody that he took advantage of. Well, so at first, nobody knows what happened. Okay. Um, Someone put a needle into his neck, like a a shot of muscle relaxers, and it was just kind of supposed to dull him for like a couple hours, but instead it killed him. They wanted to torture him while he was... Dull? No. So no? I was, what is happening in this story? <laughs> I was thinking the kind of the same thing until I finally found an article of what really happened. So he had met two young men who were brothers, and he was kind of, you know, giving them money for sex. It was sexual. It was sexual. And they came over, and apparently that this was their little ring thing they were doing. Okay. They were going around and targeting gay men, and they were and they killing would... them. Or not killing them. They were kind of Incapacitating. Like, yes. And then stealing all their stuff. Okay. So they go to his house, and he has a friend staying in the back bedroom at the time, this young woman from America, and they do the whole sh- mu- muscle relaxant. He goes down. They see that it's kind of taken a toll on him. He's now dead. They drag his body into the bedroom. They take a bunch of stuff, um, but they don't take the $5,000 that are in his dresser. They take like a VCR and a cell phone and some so, CDs. So they're not, they're not rooting really well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then he's just found dead. That's the end of it. And that's the end of it. And that's the murder. Your story is confusing. <laughs> I got lost in the story and forgot yeah. that someone was going to die. Yeah. And then when I realized someone was going to die, I was sure I knew why that's what i was like a revenge killing but then you know i was kind of thinking because he was taking advantage of the the church he oh, like yeah. continually w- was going to sue them and they upped his pension a couple times to kind of keep him quiet oh my god hang yeah. him out to dry yeah yeah Ugh. and so he kept getting away from you know reformation in the state so I, I was thinking like you that someone went down to cuba yeah yeah but yeah that's I cut rumba. <laughs> I cut rumba. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. He has like this whole the guy he was kind of like seeing, but you know they were like living lovers yeah. or whatever. He like left him fifteen thousand dollars, but because Cuba at the time you couldn't send money down there because yeah. you know we're not allowed. Rules. Um, he his boyfriend had to be a citizen of another like country essentially to get this money. So now he's trying to figure out how to get out of Cuba to get this money and stuff. Yeah interesting but yeah while he was down there he was a blogger and he like wrote all these redder- letters about how it was injustice that families couldn't be together and yeah. like oh it was it was huh. just insane the like 180 his life his life took yeah yeah hmm yeah and that's the catholic church for you 
Ay, ay, ay. The stuff I was reading was awful. Yeah. The cover-ups were crazy. Dude, I know I only know the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those ones that's so horrific, I don't really want to go down that rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. But I do... It's good that people do... Like, we are not anywhere close to rectifying what has happened. Yeah. Yikes. Well, thank you guys for joining us for another week of Killer Cocktails. Our endings are always like... (laughs) Hey, we told you this horrific thing. It's a major bummer. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Um, you wanted your true crime and you got it. You did. And now yeah, you're I... drunk and sad. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you listen with friends. Yeah, listen with friends. Don't listen alone. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. As always, hit us up on Instagram if you want to recommend a drink or true crime case. Or you are going to get married. Or if you're getting married, let us know. We'll come ordain. Even if you don't want us to, we'll just show up. <laughs> yeah. I Bye. feel like you did a good job. I feel like... It was... I feel like I've done a good job. Yeah. People keep asking me. I mean, yeah. They wouldn't ask me if I didn't do a good job. Yeah. That'd be weird. It'd be strange. You don't need to... I'll, sh- I'll just <laughs> or, be a guest. You or, don't have to make me be your... How about this? We'll be your bartender. Double duty. Save some money. Yeah. We'll both... Mm-hmm. We can do a lot of things. <laughs> I've never worked in food, but I feel like I could handle oh it. Oh my god, I used to do events. I could throw your you want me to throw your wedding? I'll throw your wedding. I feel like you're talented in that vein. Yeah. I got you. You let us know. You hire <laughs> killer cocktails LLC. <laughs> oh yeah, we're a real business now. Yeah, you can hire us for shit. Yay. Alright guys. Much love. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Killer Cocktails. As always, on our talent was Jackie Andrea. Uh, be sure to check out our Instagram at Killer Cocktails Podcast or stop by our website, KillerCocktailsPodcast.com, for up to date information, photos, contests, and more. Our logo was created by Michelle Firm, whose amazing art can be found at MichelleFirmDesigns.com. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlis. And we'll be back next week on hashtag Murder Mondays. <laughs> No, no, I tried grits. Okay, and it so had, we're like, meeting a ton in the middle. Of cheese in it. Yeah, because that's and how then you I have grits. Pooped my pants. <laughs> yeah, because that's how you have grits. <laughs> no, no, oh my god, because <laughs> that's how you have grits. Get out of here. You nasty.